If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Welcome to Weekly, the show where we recap the week on Eurogamer for you. We'll be diving through all the latest game reviews, previews, features, news and videos so you don't have to, which is terribly nice of us, really. Remember, supporters of the Eurogamer website get these episodes every Friday, whereas everyone else listens from Monday. There's more info in the description below. I'm Bertie, a longtime writer for Eurogamer, and I'm joined today by features editor Christian Donlan. Hi, Chris. Hello. And by for- former Eurogamer writer and today's special guest, Emma Kent. Hello, Emma. Hello. I'm back. I snuck in again. <laughs> <laughs> You're back. It's lovely to have you on the show. How have you been? Yeah, I've been doing well, really. Just kind of making the most of um, the, the sun and summer and playing lots of football, basically. <laughs> Yeah, so one of the things I hear that's been occupying your time since you've uh, moved on from Eurogamer is um, football. You've become quite obsessed with it, uh, from what I understand, uh, which is a great time for it. So um, is that because are you are you pushing into that area as a kind of with a professional stance or is it just something you love doing in your spare time? Yeah, well, it started off as just a kind of fun hobby. I think I had like um, a quarter life crisis during the COVID pandemic and I was like, I need to, <laughs> I need to go outside. Respect. Um, <laughs> and I, yeah, I watched the, the men's heroes, got very sad about it and then started playing football um, myself. And yeah, I've ended up playing like six hours a week, something like that, six, seven hours. Um, wow. So I play a lot and I'm part of a local team and I'm going to be in the FA Cup. So that's fun. Just the preliminary. Wow. So, so <laughs> before we get carried away. Wow. But um, yeah, no, I'm in the first team of that now. And um it's been like a year, so that's pretty good going, I think. And yeah, that, that I'm, is really yeah, good yeah. going. <laughs> it's been so cool as well. It's been a really good time for um, the club because our local clubs had a, a new pitch put in, and it's been like completely refurbished. And also, it's great for women's football at the moment because obviously at the Euros. So of course, it's just a really good time to be into football. So yeah, I'm hoping that maybe um, I can think about going into um, maybe kind of sports administration, grassroots football, we'll see, because it's it's just a lot of fun and I just love oh, it. Wow. So. <laughs> That's really lovely to hear. So was football something that had been a part of your life beforehand or is it a new thing? A new yeah, passion? yeah. It, it, I was really into it in junior school. Um, like I, I would just play oh, it every okay. lunchtime. I was in the team. And then I went to an all girls school at secondary school and there was no football in PE. Um, I think someone briefly tried to set up a girls team and like two people turned up. It was me and one other person. Um, so yeah, wow. football just completely died for me with secondary school. And then it was only, yeah, like last year that I came back to it and I was like, oh yeah, no, I remember why I really like this. So it does, it does show how so many, I think girls stop playing football just because there's no easy access to it. Yeah. And it's a shame. Um, but it, it's great now that more people are coming back to the game. And also I, I love the fact that you can pick up a hobby when you're an adult um, or something that you used to do and just come mm. back to it and you know like people are open to it and you don't have to be like an elite sports woman you know you can just enjoy it and get better on your own terms um, yeah. I, I love the emotion that comes with rediscovering a passion that you've left kind of dormant in the past as well it all comes 
for me, it was acting, um, which was something I returned to after years. But it, it just comes flooding back and you just feel energized and like, yes, this is great. Why did I? Part of it is why did I leave it so long? But another part is that I'm so glad I've rediscovered this, I think, because it's not like a, a bitter thing. It's like a, there's a lovely, a lovely feeling that comes with it. So that's really nice. I'm glad that you're um, energized by that. Um, but you've also been keeping busy by doing a lot of freelance work. I've seen you have some stuff in Edge magazine, um, as well as some pieces for us. We couldn't let you know completely let you go, obviously. Um, you wrote a great state of the game piece for us on Valheim, which we talked about in a previous episode of Weekly, um, and one this week as well um, on Red Dead Online. Yeah. Um, now, there's quite a lot to unpack in this. It's a great piece. Um, <laughs> but what really kind of struck me by it is this sense of almost a missed opportunity mm. in the game that there's this like wonderful simulated world that rockstar doesn't really know what to do it doesn't really know how to build a successful multiplayer community out of it and i wonder if a part of that is this sense that if there's no kind of mayhem and murder to be had in it uh, rockstar or maybe rockstar's the bulk of maybe rockstar's community doesn't really know how to interact with it. I don't know. What do you think about that? I, th I think Red Dead Online is interesting because the strength of it is PvE and almost like co-op player interactions, which is very different from what Rockstar's had before with things like GTA Online in which everyone is super, super aggressive. Um, and that's kind of the whole point. Uh, so actually, it's interesting. If you look at what the community says on Reddit, they're always like, why isn't there more PvE stuff? Why isn't there more roleplay? Hmm. Um, and it's quite a slow paced game. And I think maybe Rockstar didn't quite know what to do with that and how to kind of, you know, turn that into mechanics and also monetize it, uh, <laughs> importantly. Um, it's definitely, it definitely feels like a missed opportunity. I feel like even with those kind of difficulties, they could have gone further, you know, introducing things like properties for people to save up for, just ways for people to feel uh, right. more connected in the game world. Um, so yeah, there, there are some, you think about all of the assets they made for the base game of Red Dead Redemption 2. People are looking at those and being like, I want, I want that hat, you know, like, obviously it takes a lot of work to put that into, you know, um, an online game where people can, in, you know, put layer different clothes. There's a lot of work. So it's not as simple as just going like clicking your fingers, it's done. So, but I think people do feel like, you know, there was so much work put into that world, the animation sets, just the landscapes, how beautiful it is. Like, why didn't they? do more with the online bit yeah and you mentioned it there but one of the themes of your piece was this kind of pay pay to win aspect or not necessarily pay to win but it, it, you're pushed towards microtransactions basically and and because i don't think they've just worked out how quite to do this world maybe doesn't feel like there's anything in between so it's just you'll get this abrupt yeah. shove to go like off you go go and buy something yeah oh gosh that's... and one of the other themes was yeah, I was Sorry, gonna say go there's there's so much to unpack with Red Dead Online's economy. Um I remember when it first came out, people were getting really just cross because they were looking at how much everything cost in this world and comparing it to like magazines at the time and how much things would cost then. And there was like this whole thing about a can of beans costing silly amounts of money and everyone was complaining about the beans. Uh, but, um oh my god it was it was preparation for the for the cost of living crisis. Yeah, they, <laughs> they were like, Red Dead Online did it first. <laughs> Um, There's a wonderful quote, wasn't there? That was like 1890 items wages, with 2020, 2020 prices. prices. That is okay. it. Yeah, that's the one. Um, so there's this kind of weird kind of immersion breaking element to that. And particularly um, 
you can't really kind of collect items in the world and rewards as you go around as you would in a single player. Um, so you can't just rob people and be an outlaw. And so any person that you loot has got like literally nine cents on them. And it feels really weird. <laughs> Which feels like the main point of the world. That's that's the fantasy, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like everyone's like, like, why can't I be an outlaw? It's like you could only go through these correct routes to be an outlaw through official Rockstar um, yeah. <laughs> mechanics. And yeah, it just, it feels really weird. And you notice it after a while and you're like, oh yeah, this world isn't, it looks like it should be fully, you know, immersive and kind of real. Um, and then, yeah, no, the, the economy isn't there at all. <laughs> And one other thing that you mentioned, another big theme, and there's a great opening about this, is cheating. And you, you have this wonderful opening where you you start off with a, you know, you're having this nice evening for a while, and then it all goes horribly wrong. And someone comes along, some cheater comes along, and as you say in your piece, turns you into a spaceship. Now, I was reading the piece thinking, what what does she mean, turn, turn me into a spaceship? But you, you kind of mean it almost literally. I, I, what, what happened and how on earth did they manage to do that to you? Yeah, so um, I think in, in the, the single player game of Red Dead Redemption, there's like a little Easter egg where you can find like a spaceship in the sky. Um, so ah, that little flying okay. saucer is an asset in the game. So modders can basically just attach things to you. Um, you can get cheap menus right. online. Uh, and like install them and then that way you can just mess with people and there's very little you can do about it when you're not the person who's cheating oh, wow. um so yeah the modders can like fly around be invisible a very common thing is they just blow you up out of nowhere so I, a friend and i were just hanging around in the city <laughs> and we were just like oh, blah, blah. we were actually playing parkour um and all of a sudden we were like flying in the air and exploding and we're like oh modder <laughs> classic um, it's that classic it's like a kid in a playground who's like jealous because they can't play with you yeah. and then they're like well, well in that case I'll play, I'm gonna I'll just ruin play their day up. yeah exactly uh, I feel like the one who targeted me with the flying saucer was particularly mean because they like knew that I was doing like a mission that is designed so that you can fail it and then like lose hours of work and I was like no <laughs> this wow. is the worst time like normally it doesn't matter too much because you could just respawn in it or you could just leave the server but I had stacked up all of these animal pelts over like hours of hunting in the game. And I was like, I can't wait to sell the pelts. Um, and you can be attacked by other players at that point and lose it. And that, that annoys me anyway. I, I feel like that is irritating um, and like too much punishment um, versus just kind of being a bit fun, being ambushed. But yeah, when a hacker comes in, you know, I just like, oh, I'm so annoyed. <laughs> um it's it's just it's so strange it, it just makes for a really strange like the, that someone can do this to you as well but i mean unfortunately rockstar's kind of left the game out to pasture now a little bit excuse the kind of odd pun because they've they've stopped they've moved everyone over to gta 6 apparently and they stopped uh doing big updates for it which to me sounds a bit like this is it now you know we're not going to do anything else to this it's just going to be yeah kind of left and it's a shame because when, as you say in the piece later on, you talk about, you know, when you're playing alone or you have a few friends with you that you've personally invited in like a closed um, online experience. It sounds wonderful, you know, just being in this world, drifting around together, just bumping into incidental detail, which so much of the single player game is anyway. It yeah, exactly. Feels it's, like yeah, a, just when it's organic and you're just kind of walking around and just engaging with the world it's lovely and when you have a friend as well to explore it with and poke around and be like what happens if we do this that's literally the most fun we've had um yeah there's there's a 
there's a point where we were just like going down like I, I was just chucking myself in a blowhole just to see what would happen and it was ridiculous it just made a little kind of uh, did you get fired back out <laughs> no sadly didn't. Okay. it's funny actually um when you walk up to them like the game kind of makes you fall over and it's kind of like you don't want to do that like don't do it and then if you carry on you just kind of fall into the hole and you kind of cook like a lobster or something um <laughs> but uh yeah oh, yeah fantastic. no i just i just wish there was i don't know more opportunities to interact with other players in a non-violent way um i find that the only way that i enjoy it with other people is if i go into the game with them in a group and we're playing as friends but there haven't really been many occasions where i've made friends with strangers or had cool interactions with strangers because it's just not implemented in the game the only things you can do is really kind of a shoot people or b you can kind of like wave at them um and then i guess there's there's some co-op <laughs> missions but you, you, there's like, you don't really have any communications <laughs> <It's> like <laughs> that's amazing uh, it sounds like I love it sounds that. like yeah rockstar doesn't know what to do with like a, a role-playing um community and it mm. sounds like there's quite a lot of people there who want to do that but they just don't yeah rockstar doesn't have anyone there or isn't invested in that that aspect it's interesting um in the process of researching this i found like a hardcore um role-playing community i think it's called wild west rp and i'm like i'm really considering getting involved with it um they don't use the red dead online servers but you have to be kind of like whitelisted and approved to come in and it's I it just looks amazing i've watched some videos of people in it and people come completely invent these characters and they live out their lives and they have their own like actual working economy so it's not attached to like <laughs> actual systems they kind of have to haggle for things um i've seen a video of someone who's role played as um a member of the government who like surveys the land to check that you know um he's like a biological <laughs> oh, wow. surveyor or something like that and he'd be like oh yeah i've heard there's like a, a big alligator around here and just checking it out um yeah and i would love to do that and like i don't know role play is some kind of like i don't know witch woman collecting herbs in the woods or something like that <laughs> Well, well, I would read that article um, as well. Um, so let's hope that the community can can take this um, and and do what they want with it. Um, I suppose, in spite of uh, Rockstar's wishes for the game. Um, also, this week we had Tom Phillips uh, look at Fortnite for another state of the game piece. Um, and Christian, I know you spend a lot of time playing Fortnite, or you did. I don't know if you still play it now. And what I find fascinating, and actually Tom Phillips, I was chatting to him about this, and he uses the same word, fascinating, is that this game is like this evolving, I don't know, platform, I suppose, at this point. He talks about it in terms of what the game represented to him over the years that he played it. So at the beginning, it was just like this game that was blowing up and it was a cool concept and everyone was having fun with it. Then a year later, it became, he was impressed with it as this example of what a live world how it can evolve and change and morph. And then as the years get closer to now, it's become, it's this becoming of a, a platform and almost in a Robloxy sense, a place for user-generated content now. It wants to kind of be everything and it keeps sort of reinforcing, I'm picturing like a Dyson Hoover. Yeah, it's so, absolutely, but, um, yeah. I, sorry, I cut you off. I cut you off. I cut you off. No, go. No, no. <laughs> I finished, so you go. I'm a monster. I'm history's greatest monster. Um, it's so a Tom's piece is the best piece I've ever read about Fortnite. It's really fantastic. So please read it. Um, and yeah, I, I remember like Tom and I were basically we we started being blown away by this when they started doing these incremental updates that they didn't really tell anyone about. And it became it, it felt like it was inventing a new kind of storytelling, which we sort of described as storytelling by 
like shoemakers elves you know you'd come in the next day and something had changed these tiny little changes <laughs> that kind of encouraged you to look at the world and to sort of spot the things that were happening and then they've had this incredible fun with sort of the different th threads of narrative which are, which are wherever people want there to be narrative they're able to react and kind of put narrative there so the narrative between the warring fast food thing uh, companies and things like that and which team uh, are you on Donna? weirdly <laughs> don't uh, my daughter is very serious about um the guy with the tomato head oh, um I but i uh, it's all it, it all goes a bit over my head to tell the truth but but one of the things i think is incredible is this is a game that owes its success and its character to fortnite's uh, to epic's incredible pipeline in that they are able to they were able to pivot onto battle royale very quickly and now they're able to update this thing seamlessly and it, i mean obviously i suspect there's lots of problematic behavior and crunch going on behind the scenes um but also part of it is a story about technology and how technology allows you to do new things with games not necessarily graphical things but in terms of the de the, the degree to which you can iterate and things and try things out they are one of the things I love about Fortnite is how they will throw something in and it's no good and then they take it out again. Or they'll try something and it's OP and then they'll take it out again. And what it means is that you have these lovely favorite things that you want to see, again, like balloons. When balloons came back in, a load of, you know, 40-year-old men were enormously excited that balloons had come back. I mean, I was one of them. Um, enormously excited that balloons had come in and you could go for a float. And it's just, it's, it's, I, I play it because I think the world's wonderful, the island, but my daughter and her friends, they play this side of it that I've never seen. It's almost like a combination of a doll's house and a role-playing space. Mm. And it, it, it is, it's really funny when people are talking about creating the multiverse, which is this slightly horrific, horrifying idea of a sort of a Milton Keynes shopping center that your digital, your digitally wedged in for the rest of your life and it feels like Fortnite really is the only convincing multiverse i've ever seen it makes me think that you can't create a multiverse on purpose almost if you set out to create a multiverse mm. you create playstation home which is slightly there's nothing <laughs> at the center of it there's no real purpose for it there's cats but in fact the having a, having a game at the center of it allows the multiverse aspects i hate even using that word but it allows the aspects which multiverse people get very excited about to sort of flourish it becomes this place this sort of town square where people turn up it feels it feels pretty special in that regard emma were you a Fortnite player i, I yeah, seem to remember yeah. you back in we the day played. i played we a lot played more. together yeah yeah no i'd always come into the office in the mornings and don would always be hiding in a bush like every time without fail <laughs> um uh, I'm, I'm, for those I'm who don't know now. I am past that. Christian had this wonderful phase, which felt like he was always doing it, where he would be like literally hiding in a bush. And that was his strategy. He would go from bush to bush um, and almost not take part in the rest of it. Just kind of watch, just stay sit nearby and watch other people play. It's funny because I don't and, do and that anymore. And sometimes I see it. I'll, I'll be walking by and I'll see a bit of shrubbery out in the game world. And I get almost wistful. I'm like, oh, I remember. I remember when that would have been the next 10 minutes of my life. But uh, no more. Yeah. I did progress past now, that. Now, Christian, yeah. you've, you've had a busy <laughs> week this week. Um, you've been reviewing a couple of games. Um, one is yeah. Hindsight um, and one is Hard West 2. Um, so let's take Hindsight first. So this is, as far as I understand it, a narrative adventure about a woman returning to her childhood home to sort it out after her mother's death. Um, but really, it's more about 
her memories of of her life with with her mother and and everything they represent is is that am i kind of on track there yeah it's really it's it's re- been really interesting after the after the reviews came out um and to sort of read around what other people made of it because it is one of those games where you actually do part of the fun is working out what other people finding out what other people thought about this thing that you've all experienced and a lot for a lot of people it's about grief and it's about sort of the way you deal with grief and process grief and that's that, that I, I that's i see that as completely valid re- reading for me it was definitely a game about memory and about sort of how memory works um how sort of one point connects to another point connects to another point um but it's also about uh i think more deeply it's about for me it was about how childhood creates this sort of cage of memory that you struggle to escape from as an adult. Um, There's a wonderful quote that you wrote that is, um, childhood is the puzzle we spend the rest of our lives trying to solve. And that really stuck with me. I really love it because it's so true. In the background, the the, the next line is in brackets, I am 40. Um, But no, I think it is, (laughs) I I think it is true, is that you think you leave these things behind, but you, you, certainly in my experience, you don't. That, that you keep returning to these sort of formative memories, memories that perhaps you don't understand that well, or you don't understand, or you see new aspects of them. And of course, memory is this maddening thing, which is actually incredibly unreliable and it changes. Each time you, rem- this is it's sort of almost cur- a curse to tell someone this, but each, oh God, sorry, alarm going off. My cat needs a pill. Um, <laughs> each time, a neurologist once told me that each time you access a memory, you destroy the original copy of the the copy of the memory and you replace it with the new one. And it's the memory of remembering it. So, which is why memory degrades almost like a photocopier rather than like a digital copy. It's almost like you're taking photocopies of a picture and you lose stuff each time because each time. (laughs) Yeah. The act of accessing a memory is an act of sort of destruction. And then you replace it with the memory of the memory. It's very weird. Um, But, um, so so in this game it's it, it, the, the sort of form of this game is it's sort of a montage and you you move from one scene to another through either turning the camera or clicking on at parts of the scene so you turn the camera and you find an, a part of the scene that's interactive and you click onto it sometimes it's sort of a ghost of a character and you move to where that character is and the, the story progresses sometimes it's an object that becomes kind of a window and there's this lovely metaphor of objects becoming a window to the past and i think in the review i talk about how I can't see a toast rack without being back in my English <laughs> grandmother's kitchen when I was sort of six or seven. And, um, and, and it, it's about those ways. I think um, it's called involuntary memory, the way that a certain object will just push you back into the past and you're uh, all of a sudden you're there. All of this is in the game. Then another thing about the game, which I didn't feel qualified to write about particularly, but which is certainly a very important part of the game is it's about uh the experience of growing up with a with a parent from a different culture um and i mean part i i can kind of relate to that my my dad is american and we grew up in england and that but but like the 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 most jarring thing that ever happened was that someone would not like the way he pronounced the word tomato or something like that you know it wasn't a very (laughs) it wasn't a very meaningful distinction but i think in this uh in 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 this narrative and i understand the writer of it has the same background it has um has a japanese um, um, a mother who's from japan 
and is some of the most moving stuff in it is when the mother is trying to engage the child in sort of Japanese writing and sort of learning about Japan and the, the child's completely uh un, it doesn't want to be engaged in this at all so it's got a lot of stuff in it <laughs> it's got a lot of stuff to chew on and and it's one of those games which is fascinating because I think it's on some levels it's not successful uh, because how could it be because we you know making a game about shooting bank robbers is hard enough but making a game about the way that memory operates that's like really hard you know but it's 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 such a a, such a great goal it's such a great thing to aim for that that even the ways that it doesn't quite work for me are completely fascinating it's one of those games that just makes you think about things yeah that's what in a really hopefully really rewarding way which is why why i come away from it and think which is good yeah i i I thought it was apps i think it's quietly unmissable not because it's it, it, not because it's like a home run. It's not like Splatoon is like, oh, it's so great. Everyone will love this. It's more like this is really interesting because you're seeing people at the sharp end of what games are trying to do. Mm. And memory is, you know, the most probably, I would say this, I'm middle-aged. Memory is probably the most important human topic, right? It's, it's super important because it's the place where most stuff happens. Mm. And... Um, and to be for a game to be tackling that, I think is just completely fascinating. You, ha- I couldn't look away from that. So that's hindsight. That's out this week. I think on PC, Switch, and iOS. I think. I think there was an iOS. It, that would make sense. Um, I, <laughs> I think. And this, this. Is, it's an Annapurna <laughs> game. That comes to mind, yeah. but that might not be quite correct. Um, so I the think other that game is correct. Been, I think that is correct. So the other game you've been looking at is Hard West Two, and I don't know that much about this, but I think it's like XCOM Wild West. Is that right? Yes. So I should say okay. by the time I'm recording this, and I haven't, uh, I haven't, I haven't written the review yet, and the embargo is two hours away. So after this, I'm going to have to quickly write my review. Um, but yeah, Hard West Two. It's it's not just XCOM meets Cowboys. It's XCOM meets Cowboys and Ghosts, which is I think probably okay. the best pitch in in the world. <laughs> in terms of everything i love but um the first hard west is a very capable xcom alike so xcom just for people i'm i'm assuming a lot of people have played it but xcom is a turn-based tactics game and uh xcom what was it called enemy unknown or enemy yeah well the first one was called enemy unknown isn't it the first one of the reboot and jake solomon did this incredibly clever thing where he simplified tactics games and sort of simplified without losing any potency and it's like each character can do two things each turn you have two action points so you can move and shoot or you can move twice or you can shoot and then you know so like there's all these it it just gives you such it by restricting your options it makes it immediately clear what you can do but it also opens up oh it pushes it pushes your focus from oh how does this fiddly game work to actually this game's really simple but what can i do with this sort of sandbox of 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 possibilities tactical possibilities and hard west the first one basically just took that idea it took that idea and it even took uh, the way cover works cover half, full cover and half cover and it just took it, like a lot of games it just sort of said oh this is actually not just xcom this is now a new genre of the way tactics games works i'm totally fine with that because i happen to think it's brilliant <laughs> and um hard west built on it in an interesting way is it removed dice rolls and replaced it with this idea of luck and your luck would increase the more people shot at you, which doesn't strike me as being enormously lucky. Um, but um, 
it, it sort of it, it did all this kind of neat stuff and it did it with cowboys and ghosts and ghouls and things and it's just it was it's a lovely lovely game um hard west 2 um really expands on XCOM and and it, it makes you realize that genres exist for a reason sometimes a positive reason the positive reason is that people can get in there roll up their elbows and do something really new within an existing framework and so what's exciting what's immediately exciting about hard west 2 is a you've got three action points which is mind-blowingly okay. weird uh, because after you use for two you used to two for so long you like move or move and shoot or move twice you you move and shoot and then you're like oh i've got this one action point left over it's like having like an extra you know an extra hand you're like oh what do i use what do i use my third hand for um that's super interesting the other thing it does which is just oh my god it's so simple but it's brilliant is it has this mechanical bravado which is if if you shoot a baddie and kill them you get all of your action points back that particular unit gets all its action points back ah. so you use your three action points you kill someone on the third action point then you get them back again and then if you kill someone else you get them back again <laughs> and then it goes on and on and Just on chain it and you can even <laughs> You, you can chain it forever and you can even get it back by killing one of your own team, <laughs> which is amazing. It's like the, 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 the queen sacrifice, basically. You can you could be really stuck and you can blow up one of your... Sorry, but blow up one of your own guys and then you get your action points back and you win the match because of that. And that is electrifying because I love XCOM games, but there's a moment in every XCOM game where I my heart sinks and it's where you turn a corner and 50 people appear. And you think... I've got four people. They've each got two action points. There's 50 baddies. I'm going to be here all evening now. Whereas in Hard West 2, you could actually get rid of 20 of them in your first go if you play it cleverly. That's it's... great. I love that idea of turning it up a bit and going, okay, look, you, you can effectively be super powered in the right circumstances. and Because it, yes. it gives you that fantasy of being that invincible cowboy or, you know, like going, just fanning the hammer. Uh, that's exactly right that's, the other thing is weird is playing in the age of in covid i i can't i don't know if people remember back to the r number we were all very excited and anxious about r number whether r mm. goes up r is how many people each person infects right so like if r is below one then each person is infecting fewer than one other person and then the thing starts to go down xcom likes uh, particularly hard west has become one of those genres which is inescapably about the r number for me because you're like at the beginning of this go how many i don't know if that's a recommendation but... and if there are more baddies by the end of this go than there are at the beginning of it then that's bad because the the, the r is plus one and you're going up do you know ah. what i mean it really makes you think in interesting like r has really muddled messed with my head on some level where i see it expressed in all forms of life now yeah, um, but but yeah, I wouldn't want to put anyone off Hard West because I, I hope it's very clear Hard West 2 is fucking glorious and I love it. <laughs> awesome. Well, you sound very excited about it whenever I've talked to you about it. But um, yeah, let's move on uh, for now. So um, also in features this week, I wrote about a game called South of the Circle, which was a game that came out on Apple Arcade a couple of years ago, but it's being uh, re-released on Switch and PC. And it's a narrative, well, it's a movie game, really, an interactive movie game where you can sort of get involved in dialogue um, with dialogue choices and you can do a bit of light exploration, move around a bit, like interact with a couple of things, but you can't do much. And actually in this game, you can do a bit less than you can in other games like As Dusk Falls or... Um, the supermassive games. But what that means is that you're interrupting the game less. 
and the developers paid particular attention to the acting performances in the game and particularly making it feel natural, like natural dialogue with characters um, jumping over the top of each other, starting sentences and not really knowing how they're going to end. And they rehearsed this as a group and they captured it as a group. So when you hear it, it's only a simple looking game. It's quite striking, quite simple colors and things, sort of crayony almost kind of warmth to it. But what comes through is this natural sense of the story unfolding this natural interaction between the characters and it is really really good they've got some really good actors in it as well i think that that helps but i think it's their rigorous rehearsing and their sort of desire to make capture this naturalistically which really comes through and it's it's actually there's some of the best performances i've ever listened to watched witnessed in a game i was really impressed and what that allows is for this gentle it's kind of a love story. There's a kind of Cold War thrillery thing over the top, but it's kind of a love story and it, it allows that to come through and not, it doesn't have to force it through. It just, it feels like it comes through quite honestly. Um, and I was really impressed with that. I, I have my reservations about other things in the game, um, but that part of it came through really strongly. So I was, I'm really glad that this game has found um, another, another release, basically. Um, elsewhere, Matt Wales talked to Rare um, about the long-awaited captaincy update that's coming to Sea of Thieves. Now, he's been playing this game since launch, and this captaincy update is apparently something people have wanted since launch, which has even been talked about uh, since launch. It's the stuff of legend, as Matt wrote. Uh, basically, what it's going to allow you to do is to um, own and captain um, a persistent ship. So a ship that stays there in between when you log off and come back it's it's there and it was always there not like it is at the moment when you come back and ships are sort of magically appeared uh for you to play with which means that you can have this permanent ship and it can carry the kind of battle scars and you can customize it it can be and you can name it it can be your you know representation on the water um so i think the community and that came out this week so if you're a sea elapsed sea of thieves player this week uh, season seven might be the time um, to go back. Are either of you see if these players? No. I, I reviewed it back in the day oh. um, and I loved it. And I think it's amazing, but it's one of those games where you, you have to commit to it, I think. And by the time I'd finished reviewing it, I, I, I really thought it was fantastic, but I wasn't, I wasn't just, it wasn't the time in my life where I could be a pirate in the evenings. So um, yeah, with my best intentions, I, <laughs> if only they had yes, a bush had my, on the deck. I had my commitments, my arboreal commitments in Fortnite. With the best will in the world, I've wanted to go back to it, but um, I haven't found the right moment uh, yet. But maybe, maybe this is it. Um, over in Digital Foundry land this week, and here's where I try and understand what Digital Foundry has been doing. Um, Tom Morgan has been working on a multiverses versus Smash comparison video, and I know this because he sits behind me in the office. So I turn around and I see him working on this and he's got some clever side-by-side -side comparisons of similar looking levels one like in multiverses one in smash and it's notably different it's no what's notable is how much more detail and energy smash has by comparison and tom's a, a smash player so i think the gameplay has more detail in smash as well and he he kind of comes to this uh conclusion exactly how he does it i don't think the piece is up yet so i haven't i haven't seen so smash edges it for tom but the question i have for that is what what about if you don't have a Switch or what if you don't play Smash and are therefore not familiar with the series? And I think that's the gap Multiverses is plugging. I think it's it's enticing people into 
with uh, you know familiar names like Thelma from Scooby Doo. Um, it's Thelma, it's enticing people. Thelma, sorry. Velma. Um, Velma. Whatever. Um, it's enticing people. In. <laughs> what do you mean, whatever? This is. Uh, and and anyway. Chris, you were playing multiverse. I think you had a similar sort of um, a similar sort of take, didn't you? Yeah, I think I think there's so one of the things like I grew up with Warner Brothers cartoons, Looney Tunes, and I think a lot of people did. And it actually, it's this sounds like uh, sacrilege to say, but I actually think they're the sort of the appeal of that bunch of characters is actually stronger than anything Nintendo's got. So I feel more strongly about Bugs Bunny than I do about Mario, it turns out, um, when I was playing Multiverses. Uh, the other thing that was quite weird for me is, in a way, you're coming to these characters in a much more pure way, in that I know Bugs Bunny's characteristics. I know the way he sort of approaches things. I know what his personality is like. And therefore, when I play a game, he's in it. I have these expectations about how he's going to work in that game. Whereas with... This is weird to say, but with Mario, there's two levels to it. Whereas you know that he's like this plumber and this fun character and woohoo and all that <laughs> stuff. But then you also know that the moves he has and it gives you these two layers that you have to navigate. So when you come into Smash, you're like, oh, my God, how is he going to work? So how is Mario's a bad example because it's Mario translates pretty neatly to Smash. But someone like Captain Falcon, right? So Captain Falcon drives a car. <laughs> how is he going to work in Smash Brothers? It gives you a layer of confusion rather than a layer of clarity. Whereas when you're like, oh, I cut Shaggy from Scooby-Doo. I know what he's like. And you play Smash and he's exactly the way you think he is. Batman, classic example. He's exactly the way you think he is. Wonder Woman, they, these, these people, they behave the way you expect them to. And it's because almost because you don't have that kind of game stuff in between you and their personality. So it's just their personality expressing themselves through these moves. I, I found it very immediate. To, to go into I did play it for a bit I definitely feel the draw I played as LeBron James for like why not like LeBron James is in Space Jam so uh, apparently he's in the game so I chucked we're doing a piece around. on this we're doing a piece on this but like the stuff the, the intellectual property that Warner Brothers has is absolutely ludicrous so in this game you know you've got LeBron James and you've got um, Steven Universe and you've got um, you know the people from Adventure Time but actually in this game you could have Hal from 2001 you could have you know um Stanley they own all of Stanley Kubrick stuff for example you could have could really um, Claude Rains from Casablanca you know <laughs> like they you they you have a hundred years of cinema you know they they made the Maltese Falcon and the Big Sleep so like you they, they, if they wanted to you could pull some really wild stuff into this game you could have General Sternwood from the Big Sleep as a playable character in this game I feel and, um, like you, it's... if the, if they had you as the curator, I feel like they would. <laughs> I think they'd I be my dad as the curator, actually. <laughs> but it, the, 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 they actually, kind, it makes you sit back and go, actually, Warner Brothers has the best stuff in the world. <laughs> like they've got like Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck. And that's just the top of it. That's just the top of what they've got. Um, it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's move on. Um, so also in Digital Foundry. <laughs> no, that's no slight on you. I'm just um, conscious of time. John, no, 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 um, no. John Linneman took a closer look at the just launched console versions of Bright Memory Infinite. This game is, found, is, is um, fascinating. So this is the fast paced FPS that came out on PC like a year and a half ago. Uh, and it was made by one developer. 
um, in their spare time. It's not a long game. It's like a couple of hours long, but it's quite a, like a slick looking thing um, and sounds like it's quite action packed. Um, so John's looking at the console versions of that and uh, there's a, an Xbox Series um, SX version and a PS5 version and apparently they're pretty good. Um, maybe the Series S a bit less. And, and there's a Switch port. Uh, which is, um, for some reason, uh, which is massively paired back. But yeah, um, curious game. I'm, I'm, I'm tempted by it. Um, over in Videoland, meanwhile, um, Ian, well, Zoe primarily, has been looking at this uh, really enticing new game called The Mortuary, um, The Mortuary Assistant, uh, which came out this week. I don't know if either of you have seen this. It's a game where you it's quite realistic looking um, and you walk around and you embalm people basically you're you're a morgue assistant a mortuary assistant but there's also this horror supernatural vibe kind of layered on top in that a demon has possessed one of the corpses one of the cadavers um, and you have to work out which one it is um, and you do this by um I guess, going through your embalming and stuff, but there's all these kind of runic element to it as well. And you kind of bring out a journal and you're kind of investigating um, that way. Um, and the, the aim of it is to not get possessed by the, the demon. And it's kind of, there's a roguelike structure. So you kind of play through a shift, which is your run. Um, and I don't, from the sounds of it, Zoe hasn't actually managed to, uh, oh, you, when you think you found the right corpse, you burn it. That's the thing. But if you burn the wrong one, the demon comes out um, and possesses you. And it's quite creepy, as you can imagine, having a demon um, possessing one of the, the corpses, because you're like, wheel one of them through um, into the room to kind of do your work on. And then the light will flicker, and all of a sudden it's sitting up, and then the light will flicker, and all of a sudden it's back down again. And there's all this kind of, or you'll look at a window, and all of a sudden like, there's someone at the window, or someone comes running out of something. It's quite, it looks, it looks brilliant. Um, and Zoe was saying she's done a kind of review um, chat with Ian about it. They've also done a Let's Play where they just kind of play uninterrupted through it. Um, and the thing that hampered it for her was there were some really frustrating sounding bugs. But apparently they put a launch day update out um, and she tells me that that has solved a lot of that. So the Mortuary Assistant, uh, look for that this week. It looks, it looks great, if you ask me. Um, also, Ian has been playing a new Star Wars VR game, which looks equally great. Um, it's a VR re remaster of Jedi Knight 2, Jedi Outcast. It might even be a remake, uh, but it's made by some fans. And there's demo you can buy um, for a fiver via their Patreon. Um, and Ian plays through this as he does. And you can see him like looking at his hands, putting lightsabers, but like passing the lightsaber, putting two lightsabers, um, hitting some of the props. It looks quite good. I mean, there's a jankiness to it as well. You can pick up guns and stuff and use those in the game. Um, you can bounce back uh, lightsaber bolts and projectiles and things as well. Uh, it's a little bit of jankiness, but generally quite exciting. Um, oh, okay. Let's stampede on and look at some of the news headlines this week. So there was a Pokemon live stream. Um, I'm not a Pokemon person, but Here's where I pretend to understand. Um, it revealed a bunch of new details about Pokemon Scarlet and Violet, which is the new game coming to Switch this November. And among the details, um, a puppy Pokemon that's made of dough called Fido. Uh, I mean, um, I wonder what it's like working at the Pokemon company and, or, or Nintendo and coming up with new Pokemon. Because like, listen to this. This is the description of Fido. Okay, Fido. Okay, Fido's moist, smooth skin has elastic qualities and is both firm and soft at the same time. When these Pokemon become excited, 
They intimidate their opponents by puffing up their bodies to appear bigger. Fido ferments things in its vicinity using the yeast in its breath. The yeast is useful for cooking. So this Pokemon has been protected by people since long ago. I mean, I did, like someone thought that out. It must be what, so like fun writing Pokemon lore. <laughs> I think I they've been doing a really How good job someone... the last few years of getting kind of the localization right and kind of aimed at, I don't know, like kind of current current day audiences. So definitely been some, I can't remember the names of them. But there were a few couple of Pokemon that were shown a few months ago, I think. And I was just like, wow, this is just, I don't know like very Gen Z like Pokemon all of a sudden um I just yeah I'm so impressed uh how they've managed to kind of keep up to date with this and kind of keep it current but I do also miss the days when um Pokemon just used to be really creepy they'd have some Pokemon stories <laughs> that would just be like oh yeah this Pokemon would just like eat children's souls and obviously they don't do that anymore but you, you read into it and be like oh okay <laughs> so I, I appreciate yeah, the nice. cute and cuddly but maybe also they could do some more creepy too <laughs> Hear this, hear yeah, hear ye, Nintendo uh, or Pokemon Company. Make some, make some creepy ones as well. But it's nice because otherwise, you know, you announce a new Pokemon and no one really cares. But all of a sudden, you've got Fido, a weird, dough, oily dough-based Pokemon, and uh, it's it's interesting, or is it? Um, uh, anyway, it looks really good that game. Uh, what looks less good, and there was a funny story this week, um, is that God of War ripoff on the Xbox store, which lived briefly on the Xbox store, uh, store I should say, um, called War Gods as Use of Child. And I, I'm not even sure really what that means. Um, Tom took a look at this anyway and recorded a video and it's it's shocking. It's like an arena combat game where you play as what is supposed to be Kratos and a stream of enemies comes to you and it's barely animated and it, there's no excitement and like you can't there's no backwards walking animation um and it was it was on the xbox um creators collection area so it's where which isn't sort of you don't have to go through certification certification so i think that's how it slipped uh slipped the net but it was like three quid and um still not anyway worth someone the three quid. <laughs> yeah still not worth the three quid uh, but was it a troll um you know was it harmless experimentation is this just someone learning to program with unity or was it some cynical cash grab no one no one seems to know um and and now it's gone so oh, elsewhere in news um a world of warcraft mobile game was cancelled uh, because of a uh, reported financial disagreement between Activision, Blizzard and NetEase uh, who are the two companies making it apparently they couldn't uh, work out I guess, how much money would change hands? I don't know. Um, so they called the project off, disbanding the 100-person team. Uh, the game was called internally Neptune uh, and wasn't going to be like a straight adaptation of the PC World of Warcraft game, but a spin-off set in a different timeline. And apparently it had been development for three years. Um, like, so quite a significant project to can. Um, and it's not the only Warcraft mobile game that's been canned this year. There was another um, that was supposed to be a bit like Pokemon Go. It was codenamed Orbis, uh, and that was canned earlier in the year as well. So uh, two things off the slate. Um, luckily for them, uh, uh, Diablo Immortal seems to be raking it in. But kind of strange because that's a partnership with NetEase as well, and everything seems to be okay there. Uh, probably because people are spending $100,000 on the game, uh, like that guy this week, um, and then discovering that he was now too powerful to actually matchmake with anyone, so he couldn't play the game anymore. Although that's now been uh, fixed, and he can, apparently. <sighs> Moving on. 
Dead by Daylight Maker Behavior Interactive revealed a new game called Meet Your Maker, a first-person building and raiding game uh, where it's in like a hellish post-apocalyptic world. Um, so what's quite cool is that you and your friends can make these kind of big towers and fill them with traps and guards. And then you, other people basically, uh, you send them off into the world and let other people try and uh, conquer them basically in cooperative pairs. So there's like half of the game, which is you playing with friends to try and beat other people's towers. And then half of the game where you try and make these towers for, for other people to beat, uh, which I thought sounded quite cool. Um, also a music game, We Are OFK um is uh coming out in august it's now got a release date um episodes start coming out from 18th of august um we heard about this month's game pass games the highlight being two point campus uh, which is the new game from the two point hospital bunch uh, that has you run a university and is obviously quite tongue-in-cheek um as the other game was um and finally someone has made their toilet into a gaming pc and what's more remarkable about this is that it still works as a toilet. So the motherboard is in the cistern uh, with the water, but but separated from it. There's like a compartment thing, um, and it like it, it, all, it all works. You see, like you can still flush the toilet, and that still that still all happens. And you can obviously so it's behind him. They've sort of cut out a panel so you can see in into the cistern. Um, and there's this picture of this guy sitting on the toilet with the computer behind him. Um, and not, not, he's not like on, on the toilet. Um, and then he's looking at a screen in front of him and he's using the, the toilet as a chair. And Did this all happen just because someone didn't couch? want to like leave their game to go to the toilet? <laughs> I've, maybe. I feel like it's a manifestation of that South Park episode from years ago, mm, you know, yes. where that guy doesn't want to go to the toilet. So anyway, very impressive, but what a, a strange, a strange project. And that's it. Uh, that was weekly. Thank you uh, to special guest Emma Kent for joining us today. Thank you, Emma. No worries. It's lovely. Um, and thank you to the ever lovely Christian Donlan for dropping in today, even though he's got a review to write in like five minutes. Thank you, Christian. <laughs> thank, thank you so much. Um, I'm Bertie. That was weekly. And we will see you next week. Bye for now. Bye.